Welcome back. It's Living a Whole Christian Life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader. Hope you're all having a great week. It's great to be with you again as we continue our series on anxiety. As actually, we wrap up the series here for this podcast. So I want to go back a little bit to what I said a couple podcasts ago, which was the most repeated phrase in the Bible is, do not be afraid. And yet, if we're honest about what's going on today, it's also fear and anxiety is the most frequent psychological complaint for kids and adults. So the reality is that although we're called to do not be afraid or let go of our fears, it's really difficult for us to do that. And we are anxious beings. And I talked about this before, that not all anxiety is bad. In fact, much anxiety is designed to preserve us, to keep us safe, to actually enhance our performance, to, again, relate and empathize. But the kind of fear that we're talking about, the kind of fear that our, that our God calls us to let go of is that unnecessary, unhealthy fear that plagues us. It doesn't mobilize us to an action that we need, but rather it immobilizes us to something, to a greater existence. And so as we continue this series today and we kind of wrap up, today we're going to talk about a different approach to reducing anxiety. Again, much of the material here on this podcast is taken from my book, Holiness with a WH. The Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness, and Heaven. One of the, I think, the biggest mistakes that we make when it comes to anxiety and fears in general is that we assume that because we feel it in a very psychological way, although I understand that you know, there are physical symptoms, that we often assume that if we feel it that way, it must have a psychological cause. And the second thing that we do is that we assume that if I am feeling anxious, and we see that as you know, an emotional, psychological outpouring, then we assume that what I must do, it must be a psychological solution that I need in order to deal with my anxiety. And yet, if we go back to those prior vignettes, those four vignettes, one of which included my own life when I was clearly feeling anxious and it was leading to physical symptoms, the reality was is that the psychological side of things, although important, you know, the stress that I was feeling, it was that I was socially disconnected, that I was spiritually in many ways disengaged from God, that I wasn't really pursuing that relationship with God, and that I was physically not nearly as healthy as I thought I was. So the reality is, is that although we think of anxiety psychologically first, just because we experience it that way doesn't mean that that's the primary cause, and it also doesn't mean that that's the primary solution. Now, let me be clear. You know, I am a psychologist. I do know at times that therapy is not only helpful, but even necessary. There are many different things, whether past trauma, or current stressors, uh, many different things, or even maladaptive thinking, that therapy, especially cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety, can be really helpful in reducing that. And at the same time, there are times, especially in the short term, where certain medications can reduce that edge, reduce that anxiety overall, and help us just to feel comfortable enough or cognitively engaged enough to be able to make the decisions to do the things we need to do. But here's the problem. All the therapy, all the medication, is sometimes there's three issues. One is that it's sometimes simply not enough. And I'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on, but it's not enough in the sense that while it may provide short-term relief, it will not provide long-term peace that we're looking for. The second thing is that sometimes therapy and medication is actually not needed. That although we seek what seems to be, again, more of a psychological cause or solution, the reality is that there are actually much better solutions out there that negate the need for therapy and or medication at all. And the third is that sometimes, and I 
have to admit this, even as a psychologist, therapy and medication is simply not effective. That it's really not what's needed to improve and reduce the anxiety that we feel. So if we're really serious about reducing anxiety over the long term, we have to come back to the sense of taking a whole approach. A whole approach in reducing anxiety. Remember that although we might feel it in a certain way, and although we might tend to compartmentalize anxiety, it's all one part of a larger body. And if we don't take the whole approach to reducing anxiety, chances are that even if things are effective in the short term, over the long term, we're actually going to struggle to sustain that sense of peace, to be able to manage anxiety effectively, and actually to be able to use it effectively. So sometimes I think that when I talk about this whole integrated ideal, I get the sense, because people have communicated directly, (laughs) to be honest, is that it seems either too difficult or just too intimidating. And, you know, I think that anything that begins with the word WH, often when, you know, what, all those questions, and even whole, sometimes it's, it is intimidating. Sometimes it is more than we want, right? But here's the cool thing. The way that we're going to talk about this today is anything but intimidating. And actually, there's some really great things about taking a whole approach to reducing nervousness, anxiety, whatever we want to call it. The first is, is that number of the things that we can do to improve anxiety, this isn't just me saying this, this is scientific research supporting this idea, is that it's often inexpensive or even free. You know, in a world where we're constantly pressed by finances, and and by the way, finances for the last 15 years are what people say stress them out the most. Isn't it great when you can actually find things that are free and effective in the same vein? The second thing is that it is readily accessible. That's really a huge key because so often if you think about like, what's the challenging accessing services from a mental health perspective? Well, it's finding the service first, it's finding the time second, and it's finding the ability to get there and logistically, you know, again, as a father of eight kids, where do I fit that in? So being readily accessible, like literally right in your home or right outside your home is a really important thing. The third thing is, and this is such a key to this idea of an integrated approach and why we shouldn't be intimidated by this, is that tiny changes can lead to big transformations if we just start with where we're at. Tiny changes, five minutes of sleep, for example, over the course of weeks can actually make significant changes to psychologically and physically how we're feeling. Small little things that you may not think seem like much, the really neat thing about the way the body is designed is that they make a difference if, and this is a big if, but where we're going is if we can find ways to sustain it, even among failures that will happen over the long term. And the final one, and I've kind of just mentioned that, is that no matter where you're at in your life, no matter how much anxiety you feel, I mean, even if you haven't been out of bed or out of your bedroom in weeks. Many people, I think, with the pandemic found just a lot of increased anxiety. Even if you find yourself obsessing over things so much that you can't think about anything else, the reality is that where we're going with this, this whole integrated approach works no matter where you are. Because in essence, it starts with exactly the place that you need to be. And so again, wonderful things is when we take and we consider God's design in all this, that if we're really going to be serious about reducing anxiety, we have to take a different approach, a whole approach. So what does that mean? Well, there's many different ways and many different facets of what I consider a whole approach. But again, the cool thing about this is you don't have to do all these at once. In fact, that's too overwhelming. 
you know, you just have to kind of consider in each area, what are little changes that I can make? And as we go forward with this podcast, there will be much more details about each of these areas. And we'll talk about this and how exciting it is that we can reclaim our health and well-being for many times what we've resigned for other people to take care of. I think that one of the worst trends of today, and I understand it, but I think it's a really not a healthy trend, is that we've kind of relegated our health and well-being, and even that of our spiritual health and well-being, because we are spiritual beings, of course, to other people, right? We kind of expect physicians will somehow repair the ways that our lifestyle don't live in accord with God's design. But what we're finding is it, it doesn't work. Modern medicine has done many amazing things, but it's in a clear in research. And in fact, when you look at longevity research, for all the advances for those who live into adulthood, there were studies done years ago that it's increased the life expectancy over the last, let's say, about 80 years by four to six years for those who get to 45 years of age. It's still perilous in comparison to what lifestyle differences make, for example, with longevity, which is about double. For those who really adhere to good lifestyle, it's about double the increase in longevity versus anything that modern medicine has done. So here we go. Right now, let's talk about seven initial ideas that we'll really delve in deeper as this podcast goes on in reducing anxiety. The first is nutrition. So before you roll your eyes and think, oh gosh, I've heard this a million times, free yourself for a second. Let's look at this a different way. Every single thing I'm going to talk about is an opportunity not an obligation. That's one of the keys to holiness with a WH is that we no longer look at this as something I have to do. Someone tells me to do it. When we reclaim the sense of being whole, we reclaim the joy that comes with any opportunity to live as God designs us. So when I speak of nutrition, the beautiful thing is there are so many studies that indicate that really adhering to good nutrition and even small changes in nutrition can improve our emotional regulation and decrease our anxiety. I'm going to give you two simple ones right now off the bat. If you're just to begin starting, find some time, one, to drink more water. Our bodies are almost 75% water, even as adults. As infants, it's even higher. Find some time to drink more water. And as you drink more water and you're potentially able to give away other things, you're going to find that even that little thing makes a difference. Find some times, number two, eat more whole foods. Now you may say to yourself, oh gosh, I don't have the palate for that. Well, what we found is even for adults, that palate has to be cultivated over time. So if you're a hundred percent processed diet, okay, that's where you're at. And you know what? Even an addition of 5% of your diet shifting over to whole foods is a step in the right direction. Look at the options. There's tons of options and ask yourself, what could I add to my diet? Before I ever took anything away, what whole natural food could I add to my diet? It's really kind of a cool thing. Number two, consider what we call expressive writing. Now, many people over the centuries have called this journaling, and we could talk about different ways, but the practice of expressive writing is simply, in many ways, taking 15 minutes a day, and sometimes you just do it for three or four days and then put it aside and come back, and write about whatever is on your mind, whatever is moving you, frustrating you, angering you, disappointing you, whatever it is, and allow you just just to write. Again, we'll get into this later in the podcast, but there's some amazingly mysterious things that go on when you create a narrative of your own life. And you create a narrative in a way that makes sense enough to, as one of the features, actually reduce your psychological maladjustment to improve your sense of peace. So if you got 15 minutes, even five to 10 minutes, consider just sitting down quietly and writing about what's on your mind. 
Number three, and that is activity, or we'll sometimes say exercise, but I actually prefer activity. You know, for various reasons, sometimes orthopedically or for other physical conditions, exercise can be really difficult for people. But any activity, and I literally mean any activity, is positive for our body, of course, up to a certain point. So even if your activity is doing little stretches or little movements of your arms and legs, all the way up to, of course, you know, other active things, jogging and swimming and and all sorts of things and dancing. Maybe it's just walking down the grocery store. It could be all sorts of things. The problem, I think, today that the way we look at exercise is we, again, compartmentalize it. We think, well, I've got to carve out, you know, my 30 minutes at the gym in the morning at 5 a.m. And that's the only place I'm getting my exercise. Well, the reality is there is actually exercise to be had all over the place. But sometimes you might have to get creative. There's been a number of times over the years, my kids give me a hard time about this, where it starts snowing and we have this like uh, tradition (laughs) where we take a backpack and we go hiking down to the grocery store. Now we're fortunate to live about a half mile from the grocery store and we grab a few things and we come back. But there's all sorts of ways of being creative with activity. Don't just confine yourself to exercise as if something you have to carve out. Look at activity and think the way our predecessors did for centuries. They walked, they moved, they had to to survive. But be creative. Activity of any kind has been shown to reduce anxiety and negative mood. Number four, helping others. And this is going to be a really neat topic down the road, but there's some really cool research about the effects of volunteering, not just the person who, of course, you're helping out, but actually the helper him or herself. And what we found is that when you start to matter to other people, even people that you don't know, even for that matter, other animals, you know, the Humane Society or something, something triggers a positive response within you that decreases, one, that psychological self-absorption, you know, that over-focus on what's going wrong with me, but two, a sense that you matter to other people. And in mattering, where your life might seem just to be completely not where you want it to be or constantly stressful, you begin to let go of yourself in such a positive way. So here we go. Again, helping others actually helps yourself. Number five, just get outside. I know that sounds simple and also maybe for some of you very complex, but being outdoors, especially moving outdoors, has again these mysterious but very clear and positive impacts on our our livelihood and our psychological adjustment. There's been some really neat neuroscience recently that has indicated that even the colors of green that are unique to our natural environment seem to have mood-enhancing effects that are hard to find with other colors. Again, almost like God created it that way. (laughs) But what's magical about it is that being outside, and you know, as I'm speaking to you here, the springtime is just officially upon us um, a day before, and There's so much going on outside. Relieve yourself of that inner doldrum and get outside. Number six, prioritizing our sleep. Again, we have a whole series coming up as part of just overall living a whole Christian life, but there's so many things that are happening with sleep. And part of what we have to do is just become fascinated by it, not necessarily, again, obligated or just disenchanted. And I know, again, for many of you listening, you probably have sleep difficulties that have left you in not a positive state. But if I was offered one simple solution, just right now, before we go on to something else, consider giving yourself 15 to 30 minutes of disconnect between your screens, whatever devices you have, and the time that you try to go to bed. Just 
even 15 minutes, maybe even 30, to allow your brain to literally become deactivated and slowly calm to a place where you could actually consider lying down. And finally for today, let's consider the path of silence. Again, time-honored tradition, centuries and millennia of people have realized that silence holds keys to overall well-being and health. But again, I think never before as much in our current climate have we gotten away from the path of silence. As I said a little ways back, I was talking to college students who recognize that they fill their days with music and they're afraid to be quiet. But here's the amazing thing that we know, again, from science, which is that just two minutes, two consecutive minutes of silence causes positive change with blood circulation and decreases in blood pressure that's associated with less tension. Just two minutes. It's there. It's available. It's free. So here we are with a different approach to reducing anxiety. Let's consider by different What does it mean to be whole? And how, in being whole, does that help me feel less afraid? If God says to us, do not be afraid, so often we say back to God, but God, please, please help me not be afraid. And honestly, I'm convinced sometimes God's trying to say to us, I am going to help you. But part of the help is the way I've designed you in this world. And there are so many things there available to you to reduce your own fears. And as a co-partnership, I'd really like for you to be part of it. I hope you all have a great week. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.